You're listening to the Mom Inspired Show, episode 38, Cultivating Your Village series, part three. Welcome to the Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Welcome back to Cultivating Your Village. Today is part three, and we will be discussing on this episode where we schedule our time. We need to remember that we need to give time to our family first, since they are our closest village. And sometimes our marriage and kids can be put on the back burner, even if we are doing things for them. And what I mean by that is we could be running around town, taking the kids to sports and activities, but are we really being intentional with them? As great as it is to provide opportunities for our children, are we taking time to get to know them and shape them? And then with our marriages, are we spending time with our spouse and nurturing that relationship? Or are you finding yourself two ships passing in the night? Our families are the closest village that we have. And that means taking inventory on how much time you are giving them and making sure it's intentional. This is also why it's so important to pick your village wisely, because it won't just be your village. It will be your husband's village and it will be your kid's village. And we really want to have amazing influences in our village. It's so important that we choose people that can lift one another up, set great example for our kids and for our kids to see relationships and what they should look like so that it sets them up later in life for them to create their own village. So we hope that this episode leaves you inspired to really take stock into who your friends are, how they influence your family, and do they pull you up or do they pull you down? Let's go to the show. Hey, Melissa, welcome back to the show. So happy to be back, Amber. So today is part three of our series, and today we're going to talk about where and with whom do we invest the greatest amount of our time. Absolutely. For most of us, Amber, our home is the most intimate part of our village. We've discussed that, opening up the doors of our home, cultivating the village and the relationships. A lot of it has to do with where we dwell. Um, You know, what, what is that really great scripture? It's where our treasure is, our heart is also. So we have to understand where our treasure is. So those in our immediate family and those that we do life with on a regular basis become the most intimate inner core of our village. But we really need to ask ourselves, are we investing the greatest amount of what we have to give to the people on the inside of our home or the village on the outside of our home? Mm, do you want to explain what you're talking about with that? Right. So I think when we think about having our person and cultivating our village and developing those friendships and relationships, for those of us that are in the trenches of parenthood and those of us who, you know, have been married for a few years, yeah. we forget that our spouse is the person who's the most intimate person mm-hmm. in and our in the village. <laughs> right. Yeah. The village that we cultivate around ourselves become people in their village. Right. And it all needs to work together for a common good. Yeah. So we need to recognize that the choices that we're making, the moral compass of those people that we're picking to do life with affects the people on the inside of the home. And are we giving more of ourselves to things outside of the home as opposed to building the village on the inside of the home? Yeah, I like that. So do you want to dive into a little bit about how we can go up? about building the village inside the home. 
Absolutely. So Amber, you know, it's interesting because anyone with a computer and internet access can write an open letter to the masses. And I've come across quite a few of them. What do you mean by that? Well, just talking about the different ways that we parent our kids Mm. today compared to the way that our parents parented us or their parents parented them. Sure. So it seems that and a lot of... um, you know, professional psychologists and people who've done a lot of research can see that in our generation, we've swung the pendulum to the far other side. Right. And so we're the generation of parents and mothers who are called helicopter parents. Right. And we helicopter over our kids. We don't give our kids a lot of freedom. I look at it. I can see both sides Mm -hmm. of the story. How many of us grew up having to fill our own time as kids? My Mm -hmm. husband remembers being six years old and getting on his bike and being sent out the front door in the summertime and his mom closing the door and him not coming home until the streetlights went on for supper. Wow. Yeah. He remembers that at six years old. We don't let six-year-olds do that no. anymore. No. People would think we're crazy. Yeah. To let our six-year-old go roaming on their bike all day long. Oh, yeah. Right. And so, you know, we've we've gone from that to feeling like we have to fill our kids' time for them. And watch over them every second of the day. And so we become these helicopter parents. But how many of us kids that had to fill that own time felt neglected in the process? Mm, Yeah. And so because maybe we felt a little neglected, we've swung that pendulum. And now we're like, we have to be on our kids and with our kids 24-7. And so where we schedule our time will define the village we're cultivating around us and how that's going to influence how our children have healthy relationships with other people. So we have to remember that our people become their people and their greatest influences. Mm, Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. So uh, there's this really great quote uh, by a clinical psychologist named Paula Bloom. And she said, parents need to teach their kids to balance human doing with human being. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I thought that was a really great quote, too, because, you know, we're in this stage of the game where our evenings get filled up so fast. We feel like we have to schedule our kids and give them every opportunity so that we can figure out maybe what they like and what they want to do and that we've never withheld anything from them. Right. And because the neighbor's kids in soccer, we need to put our kid on the same soccer team so that they can be friends or make friends or, you know, every little girl needs to be in ballet. I put both my girls in ballet. Neither one of them took to it. Neither yeah. one of them are in it right. again. Yeah. You know, so it's it's recognizing, you know, what are we doing with our time and are we spending that time inside the house or outside of the house to cultivate the village? It's got to be, there's got to be a balance. And it's what's going on on the inside of the walls of your home yeah, that are going to help you with your moral compass and allow you to build bonds of trust to bring people outside of the home into the most intimate part mm. of your lives. Yeah. Do you want to share what's going on on the inside walls of your home? And you and I had discussed this, and, and I'll be very vulnerable, and I'll and I'll share this story. My husband had pointed out to me, we were going through this really busy season of our lives. And um, because of my husband's work and his career, I mean, he could work 365 days of the year, 24 hours a day. You know, he works in marketing, he works in design, and and he owns his own agency. And so, you know, he'll go through seasons where he's constantly working. And he pointed out to me that we went through this season when I wasn't eating dinner at the end of the day. 
and he questioned me as to why I was not eating dinner. And because we were going through this really busy season, I it was much easier for me to prepare food and feed my kids and then use that time while they were distracted and they were eating together to get the hundred other things that I felt like I needed to get done, done. And so he pointed it out and I think I got a little defensive about it and I was just like, I'm not, I, you know, I, I understand my body and I understand the way that I you know, work, sitting down to a big meal at the end of the day, even though I grew up in a house that did that, just wasn't my jam, I guess, during that season of life. And I allowed the busyness to dictate the way that I was eating. So I graze on food all day long. I'm in and out of the office. I'm with the kids. I'm doing all this stuff. And so by the end of the day, it was coming to dinner time. I'm just not wanting to sit down and have a big meal. So I was feeling that other time and he recognized that he needed to pull himself away from work and to come to the dinner table and to sit down and eat this meal together as a family. And so, you know, we hear that debate all the time. People talk about, you know, statistically they say kids that sit down to a family dinner two to three times a week with their parents have healthier eating habits and healthier relationships, healthier views of life when they get older and they have a healthier home life. And so here we were, you know, and I'm pretty sure that I've taught that and I wasn't living it. And my husband pointed it out and I kind of dismissed what he was saying until my eldest daughter made a comment to me. She said, mom, how come you're not sitting down to eat dinner at the table with us? Mm. Yeah. Right. The things that come out of your kid's mouth, kids see truth so plainly and they'll call you out on it. I recognize that we need to start doing family dinner. We weren't doing it. And I was allowing the busyness of life to dictate the moments that I was spending on the inside of my home. So I felt like I could keep up Mm -hmm. with everything that was going on outside of our Mm -hmm. home. Yeah. And I needed to understand the boundaries, which is something that we're definitely going to get into in this series. And so I made a point of sitting down to family dinner and us, you know, having this family dinner three, four times a week. And then I recognized that I got a lot of joy in bringing the, that which was outside of my home and the people I do life with and making it a, a priority to include them and in what mm-hmm. was happening on the inside of my home. So we started doing family dinners. And I actually heard this taught from another woman in ministry, and she talks about one night a week, they open their doors, and their children have the freedom to invite anyone that they want over to their home. And she said, it's like the loaves and fishes, and there just happens to always be enough food to feed everybody. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. See, no, that would stress me out. That would stress you out. Trying to figure out, like, how much food do I need? Right. But then after you do it a few times, you get really comfortable with it. And you allow yourself to be vulnerable. So I stopped worrying that I had to like clean up the kitchen or that I didn't have enough food or that how, you know, there was still homework sitting on the table and all those little things. And the people that we really had connected with and we really, they were the closest, most intimate part of our village. We started inviting them over for family dinner. This wasn't a dinner party. This was me combining my chaos with their chaos. And just blending it together. Right. It's not like everything has to be set up gorgeously and all that stuff. No. No, it's just like you're just bringing in people to what your craziness would look like normally at dinner. Absolutely. There's Mm -hmm. this really great article that was written uh, by a writer. I can't remember her name, but she talked about, uh, I think it was the 
the messy dinner party or something like that. Oh yeah. That's and nice. right. <laughs> and it's and it's not about creating an experience. It's about just having a life experience of doing life together. So what happened is, is it, you know, I, I made a reference before about this really great friend that God had given me. And unfortunately, she, you know, had moved away. And we've worked really hard to maintain that relationship because that's what it takes sometimes. Oh, yeah. And it takes effort because it's not always convenient. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about um, a person, me, who's been here in Nashville over 10 years. And I have, I mean, most all most of my close relationships are all in Michigan. So, I mean, I may see them once a year. And so if you don't, if you don't talk to those people somehow, either through text, email, or talking to them on the phone, I mean, it's not going to last. So you really do have to work at it if you really want to keep that relationship going. So I totally know what you mean. Absolutely. And it might be uncomfortable at first to open up your doors and say, I don't know what we're having for dinner, but just come at 4.30. I've got, we call it at my house, the four o'clock pot. I'm a we're, I'm a big coffee drinker, and so we put on the four o'clock pot, and they'll come over. And this is a couple, um, a friends friends of ours who live just behind us, and they have two little girls the same age as ours, and we've gotten very close in our village. What started as doing Tuesday night family dinners together has morphed into probably two to three times a week mm. we get together for family dinners. Yeah. And it she'll bring, you know, I've got chicken in my fridge and I'm like, oh, I've got broccoli and potatoes in the cupboard. You know, let's just throw it together and make yeah. a meal. And somehow it just always comes together and it's a time that we value. Yeah. We talk about life. We talk about spiritual things. We challenge each other. And then those nights when they're not there, so the socializing you want to do outside your house has all of a sudden come inside the doors of your house. And then the nights when we're not doing family dinner, you know, with other people in our village, we're doing family dinner, just us as an intimate family. And there's your three, four nights a week that we're sitting down as a family and having dinner. And it's recognizing uh, that our hearts have to be hospitable. We have to set aside our expectations. We have to let relationships build naturally. You have to build these bonds of trust and it takes time. And then you become very comfortable bringing that outside world into your inside world. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Amber, have you heard of uh, Titus 2, the scripture Titus 2? Um, I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah, so. it, it's it's actually um, the most beautiful I find uh, translated in the message. Okay. Okay. So this is pretty vital. I believe as women in our village, Titus 2 is one of the most vital scriptures that we really need to pay attention to. And it says, your job is to speak out on the things that make for solid doctrine, guide older men into lives of temperance, dignity, and wisdom, into healthy faith, love, and endurance. Guide older women into lives of reverence so they end up as neither gossips nor drunks, but models of goodness. By looking at them, the younger women will know how to love their husbands and their children, be virtuous and pure, keep a good house, be good wives. You know, this is obviously written, at the, and, and we have to look at the scriptures and we have to understand they were written for a time and they were written at a certain point in history. But those words are still very, very relevant today, you know, and, you know, and it's written in the message, but be, be a good wife, be good wives, keep a good house. 
I don't, I don't necessarily believe that that means that you've got to make sure that you're washing the dishes every day. Because if you've looked at my Instagram, you'll notice that I put up <laughs> pictures of the week's worth of dirty dishes all the time. Yeah. Keeping a good house is, is keeping a good, healthy, moral home, using your moral compass yeah. to guide your home. Be careful of that which you let into your home. Mm-hmm. Having a hospitable home, having an evangelistic home, having a good home. Right? Goodness and mercy. May they follow me all the days of my life. We have to remember that. And so one of the things um, that we had talked about and when you and I had first met and I had done the episode was leave no girl behind. Mm. Yeah. That was transformational for me. Yeah. It was teaching my little girls that there is, you leave no girl behind. We live in a neighborhood that's full of kids, full of little girls. And they would constantly show up at our, on our front porch and ring the doorbell. And I remember my daughter, my eldest daughter is about six years old at the time. Remember I told her this and she was standing there and a friend had shown up at the door, but she already had another friend upstairs. And she said, oh, I would love to play, but my other friend so-and-so is upstairs and we're playing. And I could see the physical transformation on this little girl's face and all the emotions See, we have to recognize as we has, have expectations, so does a six and seven-year-old little girl. She expected that she would be welcomed in to this village, and she was left standing on the doorstep having all those emotions. And so I turned to my daughter and I said, Avery, no, we leave no girl behind in this house. And I realize that was a really strong moment to teach my daughter that you let people in. You let people in. Boundaries are important, but you let people in. And no girl's ever left behind. How many of us in adulthood are using the same language in mm. our relationships with women? Yeah. Who wants to be the girl that's left yeah, behind? No one wants to be left out. Nobody. Yep. How do we do that and how do we do that well? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I you know if you listen to uh, Joy Willoughby's episode, which was episode twenty four, I think. Um, she we talk about a village, and she said, you know, make sure you let people in, you know, because it's so easy. Even if you're not even trying to do it on purpose, it's so easy to just have your group of people that you're comfortable and. You're just talking and all that stuff, and you may not even notice that there's a person to the side that may want to come in, and um, you have to remember that you started somewhere too, so if someone didn't let you in, you wouldn't be part of that group or that village, and so I thought that was really great that we need to remember, you know, invite people in to your group. Don't leave them outside, you know, and so... And I think it's so easy today because when you do, because we don't have all that time um, without kids that you don't get to have all those great conversations, Right, it is hard to bring in a new person, right? Because you want to talk, um, it's it's like, you know, their shorthand. So then you bring in somebody, it's kind of like, okay, you need to backtrack and explain all the backstory and stuff. Right. But you have to know that you have to think about what you, what would you feel like if you were on the outside and then nobody's letting you in? Absolutely. And so- you know, I've been that girl in the position who's felt like she wasn't let in. And I've probably been that woman on the other side who's made somebody else feel like they're not let in. Right. So something that I had learned a number of years ago from a spiritual mentor who was like a mother to me, 
um, was the concept of letting people in. And so I had to put it into practice. So how did I put it into practice? And I'm going to tell you, Amber, it's one of the greatest lessons I ever learned. And it really goes back to Titus 2. It's recognizing that there's always going to be someone who's three steps ahead of you. Mm. And there's always going to be someone who's three steps behind you. So if we keep our arms and our hearts in a posture outward, so we're grasping the hand of the woman who's three steps ahead Mm. as she's pulling us forward, we're reaching out behind us to mm. grab the hand of the woman who's three steps behind oh, and we're I, pulling I that. her up with us. That's great. I love that. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And then you recognize it's okay that we're not all in the same season and stage of yeah, life. Right. It's okay that I've learned something that you haven't, or you've learned something that I haven't. Mm-hmm. If we're vulnerable and we're letting people in and we're developing relationships of trust that happen over time and persistence, letting our guard down but still guarding our hearts, we can recognize that we're constantly in motion. We're constantly moving to go that three steps forward and we're constantly dragging to pull that woman behind us three steps upwards. Yeah. If that's the posture of our hearts, and we're constantly moving, It's and it flows, and we've cultivated a village around us where we recognize we're not all in the same place, mm-hmm. and it's okay to let them in, there's a lot less stumbling going on when the motion is right. moving. We need to identify that investing ourselves um, and investing ourselves in others and the greatest return on that time investment and what it's going to be because once we spend it, we can no longer get it back. So if we're not spending that time cultivating the village that's on the inner walls of our home, which is our most intimate area, and we're spending it all on the outside, we're going to lose focus of what's important and that's time that we can't get back. Yeah. And speaking of time, so, you know, uh, we were talking about this before, people fast forwarding their lives, right? And they get to the empty nest and they have no one around. So do you want to go into that a little bit about, um, you know, talking about who we're investing time in now when it doesn't, when it maybe not seem as important because we're so busy with just raising kids and doing all the things that that takes. And you may think, I don't really need friends, you know, because I'm so busy. I have kids that I take care of. You know, it's like, you, you think about it, you wake up, you get the kids ready, you do your stuff. And you may work outside the home. And so you get home. Or if you don't work outside the home, you're just doing other things, taking care of the house, running the errands and all that stuff. And then the kids get home and then you're doing the dinner and then you're cleaning up. And then you're, you know, maybe you're talking to your husband for a little bit before you guys are like, okay, but we still need to get some stuff done around the house. And then we're going to bed, you know, so people could easily think I don't need friends, but do you want to talk about what that could look like, you know, at the end when all the kids are gone? Well, and then, and I've learned, you know, working in ministry and I've met enough women who've been through the empty nest syndrome. And so one of the smartest things that I've done for myself is listened. And I've asked a lot of questions of these women who are like, you know, spiritual moms. And let me tell you, they're hungry to share their wisdom and often find that we're a generation of women who aren't as eager to listen. Mm. A lot of us, you know, we go to the internet for yes. for our advice. Right. 
you know, and that's, that's kind of, we spent a lot of time online. We, we use social media a lot. These are women who did not have social media in their back pocket when they were learning how to do this. So they've learned how to do it the hard way. And so I have been schooled to recognize uh, in myself that I am probably going to be a woman who struggles with empty nesting. I invest so much of myself and my time into my daughters that when they leave me, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to mourn it. And my life is going to look very different. So something I've recognized about myself is it's important for me to have friendships in my life of women who are in the same season and really investing in those friendships and the one-on-one. Because when I feel alone, because I'm struggling, because I'm an empty nester, they are too. I'm going to go through it. I mean, let's not be ignorant of that truth. You're going to go through hard things in life. You need to recognize that stuff is going to happen because it's life and it's constantly changing and we can't keep up with it. Don't you want to go through those things with someone who also understands the way that you're feeling? But if I haven't made any connection with someone in my life and have done life with them and really invested that bond of trust, how can I trust them with my heart when it's at its most vulnerable and most raw in the time that I'm going to need it? A lot of women struggle with that and then they lose their identity. Right. I I really do believe we all go through a midlife crisis too. Mm -hmm. Women go through a midlife crisis just like men do. And we make jokes about when men go through a midlife crisis, they get hair plugs in a sports car. And when women go through a midlife crisis, they want to have another baby. Mm. (laughs) And because we want to feel like we're not giving up that season of Of life. life. And when my husband and I wavered, I have openly talked many times about having more children, having another child. Yeah. You know, my daughters are five and nine at this point of the game. And he said to me, I need you to understand something about yourself. Are you struggling because you, you're you not ready to move on to the next season mm-hmm. and and let go of the season that you're in? Or do you really desire to stay where you are, even though life around you is moving very quickly? Mm. Yeah. That did not feel good yeah. to hear. Right. But he's the most intimate part of my village. Sure. And if the person that I'm supposed to be the most most vulnerable with can't point out for me the the struggles that I have, and and he's he, that's a perfect example of I think that he should think the way that I'm thinking. Right. We need another baby. Yeah. Right. He's like, I'm not thinking the way that you're yeah. thinking. Yeah. I'm seeing the season that we could have. Right. But you want to stay stuck where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I don't want to go through that alone. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a struggle for a lot of women. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I do think that same with your marriage, right? You don't want to get to the kids are moving out and you don't know your spouse. And and we've talked about this on the, the mom inspired show with um, other guests that are older and have shared their wisdom. And, you know, so like we said, your husband is part of your village. So, you need to nurture that relationship. You need to um, grow with them and do things with them, you know, have fun, go on dates, you know, but um, you don't want to, you don't want to get to the end and go, I don't know you and I don't have any friends. 
because that sounds pretty lonely, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then those women find other things to fill their time. And then it just opens the door to other struggles. We don't want to do life by ourselves. We need to prepare and understand what the future is going to, we can't predict the future, but we need to have some sort of understanding from the wise women who have gone before us. And they're like, let me tell you what it's really like on this side so that you don't have to struggle the way that I struggled. And then we're in this season, we're in the trenches. We need to be reaching out to the young moms, the little ones Mm -hmm. going, you're not going to do diapers forever. Right. Potty training will happen. Which I don't know if you want to do that either, but <laughs> <laughs> someone I had I had I have a good friend who hasn't had to potty train their child yet, and they're like, "Oh, so that will make life easy." I'm like, "Well, not for a while, because now I have to always be like, do you have to go potty? You need to tell me if you have to go potty.' Now we're sitting in the car, and I'm like, "Does she have to go potty?" Where before I never had to worry about that. I didn't have to worry about if she had to go potty in a store, and then I have to deal with public restrooms. So, so it's like, it will be a while before it's easier for me. And so, uh, yeah. So each phase, there's something that you're kind of like, oh yeah. It has yeah. its challenges, yeah. it has its triumphs at the same yeah, time. Exactly. But we are very naive if we think that it's always going to get better. If we just, if we yeah. just get to the next level. Oh, right. You'll be waiting a long time. You'll be waiting a long yeah. time for that. Yeah. And, but if, if we're not open and honest with each other, mm-hmm. you know, and you're right that t- discussing these things with our husbands. Mm-hmm making them really our person. Right. And identifying that your husband as your person and your best friend as your person are two very different things and two very different people. For sure. Because I would not, I would not want to speak disrespectfully of my husband. Oh yeah. Right. Right. And I have to recognize there's a boundary there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree. Well, Melissa, thanks so much for coming on the show today. And so you guys, Join us for part four next week. And it's all about when are we establishing our boundaries? So we all know that is important. So see you guys next week. And there you have it. Hey, you guys, just a reminder to head on over to mominspiredshow.com to go and subscribe to our email list so that you get notifications when all the new episodes come out and when all the new series are coming out. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and we'll see you next week.